Hello, my name is Stephen Dunn, and you're listening to the Hellenistic Christendom Podcast, Philosophy for Understanding Theology. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Hellenistic Christendom Podcast, where today I'd like to talk a little bit about some thoughts that I have on Christian attitudes towards COVID-19, which... I'm specifically going to be referring to an essay that I wrote back in March when quarantine first was enacted, at least here in Florida. So the bulk of my thoughts pertained at the time to a lot of the conversation taking place among Christians and their responsibility towards the communal body and etc. So that's going to be kind of reflected in this, but moving along. (laughs) So uh, Bishop Robert Barron um, had made some insightful comments about the government prohibitions currently being exhibited on Americans given the widespread outbreak of COVID-19, the coronavirus here in the U.S. And in that video that he made, he rightly meditates upon Blasey Pascal's brief comment in the the Ponces, quote, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Now, the modern reader who perhaps has never heard this phrase before might ponder it confusedly. All of humanity's problems? Now, this passage comes from a certain section of the Ponces which deals with man's misery apart from God. Now, this is not some moot metaphysical point that some naive evangelical Christian espoused to spiritually psychologize man. They are very much erudite observations of the condition of man. Quote, If a soldier or laborer complain of the hardship of his lot, set him to do nothing. That is, Pascal says, nothing is so insufferable to man as to be completely at rest, without passions, without busyness, without diversion, without study. He then feels his nothingness, his forlornness, his insufficiency, his dependence, his weakness, his emptiness. There will immediately arise from the depth of his heart weariness, gloom, sadness, fruitfulness, vexation, despair. And why such restlessness? Why exactly can't we sit at home in our rooms very long to ourselves, quietly? Well, Pascal identifies precisely, and quote, I have found that there is one very real reason, the natural poverty of our feeble and mortal condition, so miserable that nothing can comfort us when we think of it closely. This is a truth that has lingered in front of our very eyes, even at young age. The pediatric sciences reminds us that the maternal act of rocking the child actually provides a sense of security and calming. According to one childhood educator, quote, by rocking a child, we are fulfilling his social emotional needs. We don't know how to be truly still. This period of forced or involuntary monasticism is meant, at least if we wanted to, to erect the mirror of ancient wisdom Gnothisotion, that Greek phrase that means know yourself. Hence, as the weight of such an argument carries us, we find that there is a relationship between God and self-reflective knowledge or activity, that is, silence. To put it simply, there's always a relationship between knowing and loving, in that there's always a knower and a known, a lover and a loved. This relation between existent things, and I'd really like to avoid things for now, If it is to be an authentic, constructive love or knowledge, there will be no mediation between the two. That is, that to join existence, there must be nothing between them, so to speak. Of course, as we attempt to grow in our capacities to know and love, 
not just horizontally with other human persons, but vertically with ultimate reality, that is, God. We can face certain obstacles. Christians succinctly supplant an answer to this problem as to revealing the underlying spiritual reality, that is, sin obscures sight. Awareness, however, of our restlessness provides the hope that among all the gifts of man, strength, beauty, wisdom, he may find his ultimate desires and hopes realized in God. In his poem, The Pulley, about God creating man, George Herbert agrees, quote, Yet let man keep the rest, but keep them with repining restlessness. Let him be rich and weary, that at least, if goodness lead him not, yet weariness may toss him to my breast. And yet, of course, Paul reminds us, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Today, there is a conversation taking place regarding the differences of perspective as to the issue of Christians prudently or imprudently examining or choosing precautions against COVID-19. According to L.S. Dugdale's The Cure for What Ails Us, which he wrote for the magazine First Things, he says, quote, of course, it is prudent to avoid crowds, wash hands and call your doctor if you're sick. But this is the domain of prevention, of thwarting death. These are short-term actions that we hope have long-term consequences. But they offer no cure for what ultimately ails us. They do not solve the problem of our mortality, nor do they provide the tools to prepare for it. Also, R.R. Reno, in his recent article questioning the shutdown, which he also wrote at First Things, he echoes a similar point. Quote, a short period of decisive action to buy time to prepare may be prudent, but ongoing measures of mass mobilization are likely to do severe damage to our society. Canceling services and closing churches underlines the irrelevance, the irrelevance of institutional Christianity in our technocratic age. We are bombarded I cannot speak today. We are bombarded by the gospel of perpetual youth, one through diet and exercise. This naturally caused an outrage in the social media community as to the possible ramifications of this view. Is the suggestion here that I'm diluting the power and spread of the gospel by quarantining myself from others, my church? Perhaps at the very worst, according to at least Reno's analysis, is that I am. The more specific ramifications of the COVID-19 shutdown pertain to the closing of important social and political institutions and the church's willingness to concede along with those institutions that they too will fold to secular prohibitions. Entails for Reno that this quote suggests that they more than half believe that secular proposition. Now, this is deeper than merely Christians disagreeing on whether or not there are justifiable conditions for canceling or disassembling public worship. The historical observation that I believe Reno is alluding to pertains to the Catholic tradition that knows well of saints and servants of God who have put their lives at the risk of various epidemics and plagues to nonetheless spread the gospel. I'm reminded here of Catherine of Siena, who lived from 1347 and died in 1380. Um, and became a doctor of the church as of 1970, who assisted and cared for victims of the plague, putting herself and others at great risk for the sake of the gospel. Of course, my view is that I think these times are a little bit different. There is much more at stake than mere implicit social preferences over um, body to soul. Political and social and economic institutions are very much active in the equation of affluence regarding human realities here, but of course, as I see it from 1 Corinthians 13, 3, as I agree with Paul, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. 
we are not preoccupying ourselves with the instances of kindness that could be available for Christians to participate in, but rather the manner of charity they extend to others amidst those instances. In this area of Christians compromising their quarantining amidst this shutdown, it's almost like jumping off the kingdom's edge and expecting God to catch you, which of course, as we learned from Matthew 4, is absurd.